Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. What's up, legends? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Um, today's episode is going to be a good one. I think a lot of people get some value from um, the answers to some of these questions. So basically, I put up a post on my Instagram story a few days ago. Um, if you're not following me on Instagram, it's at DJK Fitness. I post up uh, a lot of helpful and useful content on training and nutrition as much as I possibly can. So make sure you go and give me a follow. But I put up a story asking for you guys to send through some questions that I could answer on the show. Um, I did actually plan on just choosing one and making a full episode out of it, but there was just a shitload of questions and um, there's some really good ones in there. So I thought I may as well answer a few um, and help out more of you. So if you do enjoy today's episode, make sure you take a screenshot of the show and post it up on your Instagram story for me, um, just so more people can hear the show. As always, I do appreciate you tuning in and um, we'll get stuck into these questions. I'll keep it very casual like I always do. on this show, I've literally just taken screenshots of all the questions and I'm going to um, go through them now and just pick out the ones that I think will benefit the most people. So the first question, um, you know, in saying that ironically, uh, will not benefit absolutely everybody, but there are a lot of people that listen to this show that are either in the health and fitness industry or wanting to start a career in the industry. So this first question is a good one. And that is my advice for building up your health and fitness business. Now, my best advice for anybody that wants to get in the health and fitness industry, um, firstly, is you need to always be willing to learn. Um, you always need to be willing to to do work, even if it is for free, especially initially, to get as much experience as you possibly can. Um, I think once you have done that and you've figured out what you enjoy most, you really need to niche down. You need to find out what it is you enjoy, the style of training you enjoy, the style of or the type of clientele you like working with, sorry, and stick to that. Um, don't try and be the jack of all trades because it will not work out in your favor. That's kind of what I did. Um, that's what I did early on. And then as soon as I changed my mindset from trying to please absolutely everybody um, to then sticking to what I knew best and what I enjoyed most, which was the strength and conditioning side of things, um, along with nutrition and, and um, you know, I guess over the last the last couple of years in particular, I've started to do more with females in regards to strength training. Um, which, which is great to be able to see um, you know, females that come to me that are typically just sticking to cardio to be able to teach them how to lift and show them the benefits, but not only females, obviously, males as well. Um, I, I absolutely love my own strength training and weights, so that's why I get so much enjoyment out of helping other people with it, and along with that comes with the conditioning, like the HIIT work, and obviously nutrition and flexible dieting as well. So that's my um, first bit of advice for those wanting to get in the industry is find what you are good at and what you enjoy, and become the best at it. Do everything in your power to become the best at it so then when people need help in that area, you are going to be the first person that they think of. Um, The next thing is to give out or or share as much valuable, helpful, and relatable content as you possibly can. Um, A lot of people are stuck in the mindset that people should be paying for their information, paying for their advice, and to some extent on a personal level, then yes, they should be. But if you are constantly giving out your best content, your best knowledge, your best experiences to help other people without asking for anything in return, guess who the first person they will think of is going to be when they need help in that area? It's going to be you. So 
my whole, I guess, business and marketing plan, if you even want to call it that, is to give out as much free, valuable content as I possibly can. That's why I do things like this podcast. That's why I put up um, heaps of Instagram stories. That's why I do daily emails, all that type of stuff. And that's my best content that I could possibly give and my knowledge that I continue to work on, um, which I'll cover in the next point. But the reason for that is because it builds up trust, it builds up um, you know, it builds up a relationship with the people that are taking your advice and getting your content so that when they do need help, they're more than willing um, to pay you for your services because you've given them so much in return without asking for anything um, back, which I think is a, a very valuable tool. And then the last thing, um, the last bit of advice, there's so much more that I could, that I could cover, but I, I don't want to go too long on this topic, is to always be willing to adapt. You have to be willing to adapt you cannot be that trainer that thinks it's their way or the highway or has, has found one way of training and that's it. They're not willing to ever change their mind. I was speaking to a trainer about this the other day. We, we sat down and we had a talk about the industry and, and the ways I think um, the best way to approach coaching. And I, I said to him, I said, you know, like obviously at the moment I'm a big advocate of flexible dieting and tracking your macros. And scientifically, there's a lot of evidence to back up that or there's so much evidence to back up that it works and it's effective and that's just how how it's going to be regardless of what you eat when you eat you know the rest of it it comes down to your your energy balance with deficits and surpluses and whatnot but if i woke up tomorrow morning and there was you know a bunch of studies that came out overnight to prove that flexible dieting and tracking macros is not the most effective way to eat for results and that it doesn't work then I would completely change my methods. I'd be willing to put my hand up and say that you know I'm wrong and I'm willing to change and adapt because if you don't adapt, you will get left behind, um, especially today. There is just so much new stuff coming out and keeping in mind that the foundations will always work, the basics will always, always work, but there is always something new that you can add to your arsenal to, to help get your clients get the best possible results um, and also to help your yourself with your own training and your nutrition, your recovery and whatnot as well. So just be willing to adapt, I guess, is the next bit of advice. Uh, next question. If you've dropped your calories too much too soon and you've plateaued, how do you regroup? This is a fantastic question and I've kind of covered it in the episodes recently, but this time of the year, particularly in Australia, when it gets to warmer weather and people decide they want to get in the best shape they've ever been in, we make silly decisions. We drop calories way too quick. We introduce way too much um, energy output, you know, whether that be cardio or you know, going from doing a couple of days in the gym to going every single day or whatever it is. And we see results very quickly. And this is typical of most challenges that you see at gyms, especially the short-term challenges, let's say like four weeks, six weeks, even some of the eight-week ones. Um, where results happen very fast and that is due to, I'm not even going to say shocking the body because I, that term just gives me the absolute shits, but it's due to changing so much in a short period of time. So if I was working with a client who wanted to get in the best shape of their life, we would make small changes gradually over time so that we can consistently see results. Um, you know, So most people are doing the opposite. So they'll go out, cut their calories by a shitload, increase their energy output so they're training by a shitload, and guess what? They see results in the first couple of weeks. They're feeling fantastic. Motivation is high. All of a sudden, they hit a big fat plateau. And then what the fuck should we do now? And it's a hard question to answer, especially if you don't actually know what you're doing. Um, and even if you do know what you're doing, it can be difficult to continue to see results. So that's why we don't want to make drastic changes. But if you are in that position, if you have gone too hard too early and you've reached a plateau, you've got a couple of options. So 
I'm going to assume that someone in this, in this position is not eating very much at all, they're training a lot, um, their recovery is probably shit, their stress levels are high because they've stopped seeing results. So here's some things that you can do. The first thing, and I know this sounds counterproductive, but you can reintroduce some calories. Okay, so increase your food intake. And the reason for this is because you are going to be providing your body with the fuel it needs to train and recover at a better rate than what it is at the moment. Now, by taking in some more calories, your NEAT, so your non-exercise um, non activity thermogenesis, something like that, um, is going to improve. And that just means things like walking to work, taking the stairs, fidgeting, stuff throughout the day that you don't even think about or things that aren't actually you know, specifically exercise related. It's not like going to the gym. It's all the other stuff outside of that. Is going to increase when you're eating more. Um, your stress levels, your cortisol is going to be lower. You're probably going to sleep better. Your training sessions are going to be much better. So you're going to be expending way more energy. Um, and your recovery is going to be better. So your results in, in return will be better. The other option is, if you're happy to keep food where it is, is to actually reduce your training a little bit and focus more so on quality over quantity. Um, I think for those people that are wanting to see results fast, quality goes straight out the window and we just focus on quantity and that is not the way to go. Um, if we're talking here about someone who is in this rut and they're very deep in it and they don't have any need to be trying to lose fat at the moment or they don't have a date they're working towards, then I would actually recommend um, completely reverse dieting out of this. Um, so what I mean by that is gradually over time, increasing your calorie intake, slightly reducing your energy output and starting to build your metabolism back up for an extended period of time um, until it's back at a healthy level. And there's, I've done an episode on reverse dieting on the show, so you can go back through and have a listen to that. But just, just remember that it's not the end of the world. Um, if you're in this position, there are ways out of it. I'm more than happy to help if uh, if people would like to talk about this in, in further detail. You can just send me an email, danny at dannykennedyfitness.com. I'd be more than happy to help. Um, but you know, save yourself the hassle. Save yourself the drama in the first place. Take it easy. Take it slow. Slow and steady wins the race. There's no need for drastic changes because drastic results and drastic changes uh, always lead to the same thing. A big, fat, drastic halt at some point, and then you're, you know, you're fucked pretty much. And um, and there are ways out of it, but you're not making things any easier for yourself. So instead of trying to see results as fast as possible, give yourself more time than you need. Take it slow. Take it steady. Give yourself um, markers that you can actually track. Make sure you are over. You know, you're on top of your calorie intake. Your your energy expenditure it doesn't have to. You don't need to know how many calories you're burning in every single session, but you need to know that consistently week in, week out, you're doing X amount of exercise so that when you do reach a plateau, you either make a small increase in energy expenditure, so adding some more training, whether that be in the gym or small amounts of cardio, or you're slightly reducing your food intake to increase that negative energy balance. Um, abs seem to be the next one. Sorry, this is the next one. Abs seem to be the hardest thing in my body to tone. Please help me. So, um, look, there's a couple of things wrong with this question, and um, I'm not definitely having a go at the person who sent this question. It's a good question to ask because a lot of people um, are thinking the, the same thing. Um, so, with your abs, right, this is the biggest misconception, one of the biggest misconceptions with training, and, and you see people wasting so much time in the gym and even outside the gym at home. But um, firstly, you cannot tone a muscle. I've spoken about this on the show before. You just can't. I know it's a great buzzword. Everybody loves to use it. It sounds really good, but you just cannot tone a muscle. The only thing you can do with a muscle is either increase or decrease its size. 
Now, to get the illusion of toning a muscle, you need to increase the size of the muscle and reduce the overall body fat that is covering it. That brings us to part two of this question, and that is you cannot spot reduce fat. So doing endless amounts of crunches and ab exercises is not gonna make your abs look pretty. Yes, to an extent, you can be increasing the muscle mass of your abs by doing progressive overload with your abs training, core training. Keep in mind you're getting a lot of core work through all of your compound lifts as well as doing direct abs training. I, I think far too many people do too much abs work, direct abs work, compared to what they need to be doing and aren't putting enough focus on their nutrition. So to reveal those abs, to make your abs look more toned, you need to be eating in a calorie deficit or be in a negative energy balance for an extended period of time to review to reduce your overall body fat percentage until it is at the point where you can see your abdominal muscles. Now, by progressively overloading your training with abs and um, you know, increasing the size of your abs and the actual muscles around that area, then yes, you can see your abs a little earlier if the muscle mass is a bit higher, so while your body fat percentage is a bit higher. But in the end of the day, people just need to focus on losing body fat, um, take your time, be patient, and in the end of the day, like by the time you get to a low enough body fat percentage, I promise you will see your abs. You just need to be patient with it. It's not gonna happen overnight. Um, for me, my abs are like the last thing um, that, that comes out when I get lean. The first place for me to notice that I put on fat is around my abs. And the last place to really tighten up and to, to show definition is my abs when I'm trying to lose body fat. So for me, I know that I just need to be patient, eating a calorie deficit until eventually my body fat percentage is low enough that uh, I can actually see my abs properly and, the, and they look better than what they did before. Um, I do do a little bit of abs training, like direct abs training, but not, not a great deal, to be honest. I don't do an absolute shitload of it. I do a lot of compound lifts, obviously, a lot of core work, things like planks and pull-off presses. Um, some of my go-to ab exercises are things like hanging knee raises, um, Russian twists, uh, weighted, weighted crunches, weighted decline crunches. Um, and I don't do too much outside of that, to be honest, like single leg leg raises. As I said, I do a lot of core work. Even landmine rotations are really good, but put more of an emphasis on your nutrition uh, rather than your training, and I think you'll see far greater results. Um, this question, uh, I won't. The question itself is examples of push and pull exercises. Um, I could go on for ages about that, but I wanted to clarify uh, the difference between push and pull. So in my programming, a lot of the time I'll have um, you know days set up as push, pull, and legs, for example. A training split might be push, pull, legs, and you do that twice for the week, so six training days. Now, upper body push, the muscle groups that you're mainly targeting in upper body push are your is your chest, your shoulders and your triceps. When we talk about upper body pull, we're predominantly targeting our back, so our posterior, so our, our lats, um, even the lower back, um, and also our rear delts and our biceps. When we talk about legs, I think that's pretty straightforward, but we can even go into push and pull for lower body as well. So when we talk about push for the lower body, we're predominantly talking about um, our calves, our quads, and our glutes. When we talk about pull, we're predominantly talking about glutes and hamstrings. So there's endless amounts of exercises that I could go over, but um, you know, people that are, are wondering what the difference between push and pull is, that, that is what it is. So when we do a push workout for upper body, for example, uh, our primary muscle group is either going to be our chest and our delts most of the time, um, chest or our delts, sorry, and our secondary muscle groups will either be our delts and triceps or just triceps. So starting off with big compound lifts such as uh, uh, some form of bench press, horizontal press, um, maybe an overhead press, 
and then we go into accessory movements like fly. This is just some random examples, but it could be things like chest flies, it could be things like lateral raises for our delts, it could be dumbbell shoulder presses, it could be tricep push downs, dips. The, the exercises are endless, but that is just a quick clear up of what the push and pull actually is. Um, what is the best way to alleviate the lower the pain in my lower back? Now, um, it's a touchy question. I probably shouldn't have even said it, but I have now, so I've really fucked myself here, but it's okay. Um, you cannot take what I'm about to tell you, you cannot take as gospel, but I can guarantee you that for the majority of people that I work with that have tight lower backs, assuming that there's no actual structural damage to their lower back, this helps uh, immensely. Um, and, and to an extent, even other things like knee pain and stuff as well. But for most people that come in and complain of lower back tightness, the first thing I will do is focus on the hip mobility. So releasing their hip flexors, releasing their TFL through a number of different exercises um, or stretches, sorry, and self-myofascial release te techniques. Once that has been done, and I usually do that in this order, I will then go into some form of glute activation to try and get their glutes firing because most people with tight lower backs uh, typically suffering with tight hip flexors which pulls their pelvis into some form of anterior pelvic tilt which makes it really hard for the glutes to function properly it also puts the hamstrings on stretch so they feel like they're tight all the time which you know leads to most people trying to stretch their hammies which can t uh, typically be um, the cause of a lot of hamstring injuries when we have tight hips our pelvis is tilted forward our hamstrings are pulled on stretch we then overstretch them go out onto a footy field, for example, go to run or sprint and um, tear a hamstring because it's already overstretched. That's going off topic. So once I've done the mobility, do the glute activation. Um, once that glute activation is done, uh, then focusing on building up the strength through the hamstrings and glutes with a number of different exercises. Again, we could go over those, um, but you know things like Romanian deadlifts, hip thrusts, um, Bulgarian split squats, squats, deadlifts. Like, oh, there's a number of different exercises we can talk about, but for the lower back pain, typically a lot of the time the problem is not necessarily with the back itself. It's with why the back is tight in the first place, um, which can, as I said, is often is often caused by the tight hip flexors, which most people in society have. We sit down a lot, we don't stand up enough, we don't walk around enough, and we definitely don't do enough mobility work through our hips. So in that order, going through some mobility, um, then into some activation work, and then focusing on strengthening up that posterior is typically going to help um, the lower back. Obviously, as I said, don't take my advice as absolute gospel, but if that pain is still there or it feels like something a bit more than a tight lower back, then obviously you should go and see um, your physio or your doctor or, or some health physician and don't take my advice. Um, next question, let me see what we've got here. How to best react when you when becoming injured, um, your mindset, what should your mindset be and what to do moving forward? Um, look, I, I absolutely love this question um, because it's something that I've gone through shitloads in the past. I've had so many shit little injuries. Um, I've had so many kind of setbacks, um, not even just to do with work, just to do with training back when I was playing basketball and football, like over and over and over again. And um, I think... My best advice around this, and this is so much easier said than done, but if you can really do this, then um, you are, you're mentally and physically, you're, especially mentally, your toughness mentally is going to be through the roof and it's going to be very hard for anything or anyone to really break that mental toughness if you can nail this. And that is to continually focus on what you can control and be positive about the things that you do have. Um, and it sounds really cliche, but the power of that is so strong. So, you know, let's say, for example, you're an athlete, um, 
um, we'll use the example of a basketballer and you have gone out and you have, uh, let's say, broken your wrist. Okay, so you've broken your right arm, uh, broken your wrist, and obviously you're devastated. You can't play anymore, you can't train as much, um, and it's frustrating. It mentally gets you down. Physically, obviously, you can't do as much as you could do before, but what can you be doing now? Um, you know, this is just an example. Obviously, not everybody plays bloody basketball, but you can then use that time to work on your opposite hand. You can then focus on the fact that you can still work on your legs. You can then focus on the fact that you can do more to learn about the game. You can focus on the fact that you should be grateful that it's just a broken arm. It's just a broken wrist. You have all of your other limbs. You have so much to be grateful for still. And the power of these two things, focusing on what you can control and focusing on what you do have already, this is something I, I heard on a Tony Robbins podcast ages ago. And it is so powerful. I talk to my clients about it all the time. I try and remind myself of it every single day when there's something that's pissing me off or something that's not going my way or a setback or, or something that um, I see as a roadblock is that it is just a, a road, it's just a stepping stone. It, everything happens for a reason and you got to focus on what you can control because if you're constantly thinking about negatives, constantly thinking about things that are out of your control, it's wasted energy. What's in the past is in the past. What's happened has happened. You cannot change that. There's nothing, nothing, no amount of thinking or overthinking or loss of sleep is going to change what's already happened. So you may as well focus on what you can control, get the most out of that, continue to build on your mental toughness, physical strength if you can still do things physically um, throughout that injury or that setback. And then once you get through this period, I guarantee you're going to be much better off um, moving forward. All right, let's do a couple more questions. Um, how to deal with the festive drinks and keeping uh, results and staying motivated throughout the festive period, uh, which which is a great question. For obviously, this time of the year, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of parties going on. There's a lot of Christmas parties. A lot of uh, we've got Christmas coming up. Obviously, people tend to get a lot more social at this time of the year for good reason, and um, and it's a great question. So, my best advice for this time of the year, I'm just going to go straight to. Um, talking about people that are planning on having a few drinks on the weekends that are trying to stay in shape or trying to lose body fat. I've been talking a lot about this with my clients online lately um, for those that have been asking me kind of what they can be doing to make sure they don't lose their what they've worked so hard for. Um, so let's use the example of um, going out and having a drink on the weekend. I, I won't go into too much detail um, about what you should do for the rest of the week. There's a number of different things you can do, but if you are tracking your calorie intake and you know that on a Saturday, you're going to be going out for some drinks. The first thing I would recommend is to slightly decrease your calorie intake on the other six days. Okay, so from Sunday until Friday, if you're usually having 2,500 calories, maybe just drop that to 2-4, uh, maybe 2-3 if you really want to, to account for the fact that later in the week on the Saturday, you're going to be having many more calories than that. So it's going to help limit the damage um, a little bit. Once we get to the Saturday, my best advice is to drink as much water as you possibly can throughout the day. Um, your priority should be to still reach your protein intake for that given day. If you can, obviously slightly reduce your carbohydrate and fat intake, um, maybe opting for things along the lines of um, salads or vegetables at meals with your protein source instead of your usual carbohydrate sources. Um, when you're drinking, if you're really, really um, you know, worried about it, then try and stick to lower calorie drinks. Obviously, your, your standard vodka lime and sodas or whatever it may be, try and stick to lower calorie options. But if you're not too stressed about that, I think the main thing is to actually enjoy yourself because remember, um, this is meant to be a lifestyle. You shouldn't be working your your new, your new lifestyle around your nutrition. 
your nutrition should be working around your lifestyle. So if you have to cut out all the things that you enjoy, then it's never going to last and you're never going to enjoy it. So go out, enjoy yourself, try not to overdo it if you can. But one of the most important things, and this is where most people go wrong, it's not the actual day itself, it's the days following. The next day you need to get straight back to your usual routine, straight back to your normal macros, straight back to um, your, your normal training, um, drinking maybe a little bit of extra water, focus on getting enough sleep, set your goals for the week and try not to let that one day get you off track. If you can go out, have some drinks, have a great time and get straight back on track the next day, if you are consistent enough over time, then it will not matter. It's not going to make a difference to your results. You're able to go out and enjoy yourself from time to time without having to worry about that. Um, it's that goldfish mentality, guys. And remember, a, a good month or a great month is way better than the perfect week. Okay, so yes, there may be a day or two every now and then that aren't perfect, but that's fine. As long as you're consistent over time, you will continue to see results and there's nothing you should feel guilty about. Everybody does it um, and everybody should do it. And um, it's, it's good for your mental health. It's great for obviously continuing to build and, and, and relationships or continuing to, uh, to grow on, fuck, what am I even trying to say? Like not, not build relationships, but like socially, um, if you're the if you're that one that's never that at any of the social events anymore that never touches a drink even though you you want to, um, and I'm not saying that anybody needs to drink. You don't have to drink to have a good time. I'm not saying any of that. Uh, all I'm trying to say, in a very long way, and um, and I've really dug myself a hole here, is that you do not need to change your life completely just to try and get in shape. Is what I'm basically trying to say, um, and we'll move on from that because I fucking have no idea what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> Um, I'll answer one more of these. Ah, oh, good question. Um, we'll finish on this one. So, how do you build up your chin-ups and pull-ups? So, um, some of you may have seen um, on my Instagram story recently, I uh, actually posted a video of my girlfriend doing um, an unassisted chin-up after literally one month of of trying to build it up from not being able to do it at all to being able to do an unassisted chin-up by herself. Um, and we are now on the way to possibly even doing two unassisted chin-ups um, in just over a month. So how you can build up your, your chin-ups and your pull-ups. Um, firstly, I think it's important to understand that if you're not doing them often, you're not going to get better at them. So bodyweight exercises, even I find push-ups, if I'm not doing them that often, even regardless of how much stronger I'm getting on all of my other lifts, I'm just not going to get better at them. So with pull-ups, I would recommend doing them two to three times per week. I'm just going to say pull-ups, but I'm talking about pull-ups and chin-ups here. Um, doing them two to three times per week. Um, the best way I've found to build them up is to pick three or four sets. So let's say um, let's say three sets. You most likely, obviously, will have to start assisted. So whether you're using an assisted pull-up machine or whether you're using TheraBands um, on on a pull-up bar to help with your assistance there, whatever thickness of band you decide to start with, I want you to pick a certain amount of reps that you can get for three sets. So let's say we're using a medium resistance band and you think that you can get eight reps for three sets. So we do our three sets of eight. The next time we come in, if we did get the three sets of eight, we add one rep, okay? So we move that up to nine, okay? So now we're doing three sets of nine. That first time we try it, we may only we may get nine, nine, and then eight. So we stick at that same amount of reps, that same band until we can get three sets of nine. Now my recommendation is once you can get to three sets of 10 on that given band, reduce it and start lower again. So you may start back down at four or five reps at a lighter band. So now we're doing three sets of five at a lighter band until we can build that up to sets of 10. Then we reduce the band again. Now over time, you're gonna get much better at pulling your own body weight. Your technique's gonna get better. Your muscles around that area are obviously going to get stronger. 
what we also need to consider is our secondary muscles that are helping with this movement. So things like our core strength um, and in particular our biceps as well. So other movements that you could be doing to help with your pull-ups are obviously other pulling movements. Um, so things like pull-downs, like lat pull-downs. If you're doing a neutral grip pull-up, then obviously doing neutral grip lat pull-down is going to help um, with that movement. Things like building up the strength in your biceps with curls um, is going to help as well, even to an extent rows um, for your lats. And focusing on using your core, one of the biggest, a few of the best cues I can tell you guys for for pull-ups or even chin-ups is to think about relaxing your hands and pulling with your elbows, okay? So we want to be focusing on using the muscles we're actually trying to use, not our forearms, um, which most people use because we squeeze so tight and we think about trying to pull our chin to the bar that we're not even really using our lats. So um, with the pull-up, for example, we're going overhand outside shoulder width. And all I'm telling my clients all the time is relax your hands, pull with your elbows, and think about creating a W with your elbows. So pulling elbows to your lats. Um, something that helps me a lot is to think about squeezing my abs and my glutes to keep my body straight without swinging. But the main thing with improving your pull-ups or your chin-ups, guys, is to be consistent. Over time, you will start to see results. Over time, um, it, they will get easier. You just need to be consistent with it, and it will happen. It will. It will happen. Anybody can do these. Um, so let me know how you go with them and, and let me know if you need any more advice um, on that topic. That brings us to the end of the episode. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Um, if you have, as I said at the start of the episode, please do screenshot um, this episode. Post it up on Instagram story for me straight away. I'd love to hear your feedback and hopefully get a few more people listening to this episode as well. Hope you're having a fantastic day. I look forward to chatting to you again in next week's episode. And as always, thanks for tuning in to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast.